in a series called The Symbols of Christmas, and we are looking at some of the symbols that we love and adore and the meaning behind them so that we might capture, or shall I say, recapture the awe of Christmas. Last week, we took a look at the star, and three things surfaced. The star itself, the seekers, and the Savior. Today, we're going to take a look at the gifts out of Matthew. I'm going to read the Christmas story again. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from, e- from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this, the interview, after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. What is the meaning of these gifts? And what is the meaning of the gift of Christ, which by the way was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. Jesus is a gift to us. And since we're talking about gifts, how many of us here enjoy receiving gifts? May I see your hands? Come on, it's a cold morning. Uh, wherever you're at, here in the big house or at home, probably in your PJs, by the fireplace. We all enjoy receiving gifts, don't we? But my guess is, as we have matured, we have discovered that it's more about giving than it is receiving. Reminds me of that little boy who knew what Christmas was about, but wanted a special bike, and he writes to Jesus, okay? Dear Jesus, I I really want a bike for Christmas, and I have been good all year. He looks at that note, and he tears it up and says, nah, not true. So he writes another note, dear Jesus, I really want a bike for Christmas and I have been good to my sister all year long. And he goes, no, that's not true. And he tears it up. He goes into the family room, gets Mary, the mother of Jesus, throws him in a box, throws her in a box and puts it under the, the, his bed. And he says, dear Jesus, if you ever wanna see your mother again, As we mature, 
we begin to understand, do we not, that it's more about giving than it is receiving. And so the question is this during the season, how do you give? Well, I believe the Magi tell us how out of Matthew chapter two. In fact, they show us how to give the perfect gift. And sometimes that is hard to do, is it not? I don't know about you, but I find that women are a lot more, or they're just a lot better at giving just the perfect gift. They give a lot of thought to the gifts that they give. I know my wife does. I don't, I'm all about time, efficiency. Hey, just buy them a gift card, it's the thought that counts, right? It's hard to give the perfect gift. Have you ever received a bad gift? My guess is you have, and you're a Christian. And so you are gracious. You say, well, thank you very much. You shouldn't have, and you meant it. <laughs> what in the world am I going to do with this, okay? This is going to Goodwill, January 1, okay? One year I got a CD on meditation. They don't know I have ADD, okay? I got a fruit basket one year from somebody, okay? They don't realize I'm allergic to most fruits, okay? But the Magi gave the perfect gift. Take a look at this in verse 11. On coming to the house, that is these magi, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And they opened the treasure, uh, their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense or frankincense and myrrh. They gave three gifts. And each of those gifts were appropriate for the one receiving them. They represented who Jesus was and by the way, they represent our response to him. It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with the mother Mary. Stop right there and notice that it wasn't in a stable. Tradition teaches us, hey, the Magi showed up on the day that he was born. Folks, it's just not true. He, he, they showed up when he was more than likely a toddler, less than two years old. We have evidence of this because when Herod found out that you know, he was tricked by the Magi, he sent a delegation of soldiers to go on a murderous rampage and kill every male child two years and younger in Bethlehem. And so more than likely, Jesus was a toddler. It goes on and it says, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. This was their immediate response in seeing the creator of the universe, the king of glory, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And the experience they had is much like the experience we are to have. They came into the house they saw the Christ child, they worshiped him, and they opened up and they gave their gifts, their treasures. When I think of this, this is what you and I are supposed to do every weekend when we come into the big house or with COVID when we wake up on our, in our house on Sunday morning. 
2.3 billion followers of Christ come together every Sunday morning, mostly in house churches. And so you worshiping in your homes right now, guess what? It is not a strange thing. 95% of Christians worship in a building with less than 60 people in it. When LifePoint shows up, we are the top 5% of the world. But as followers come together, they come together with other believers and they worship in awe of Jesus. Do you get that? If you are going to capture the awe of Christmas, you have got to come into the big house or your house to meet Jesus. If you come here to meet and hear Pastor George, you're gonna be disappointed because guess what? I'm not that good. If you come here to listen to the vocalists and to hear the musicians, they're a whole lot better than me, but guess what? You're going to be disappointed. If you are here to rejoin and meet friends, you're gonna be disappointed. If you're coming here to capture the awe of Christmas through the ambiance that is on stage, folks, you're gonna be disappointed. You see, why is it that every weekend, whether it's here in the big house or whether it is in our house virtually, that we get ourselves ready, we get our kids ready, and we come to this campus? Folks, we come for one reason and one reason only, that we might stand in awe of Jesus, that we might praise him, that we might honor him, that we might lift him up. We come for one reason and one person only, Jesus. And when we come into the big house, what do we do? We open up our treasures. It's interesting, that word in Matthew 2, 11, in the old English is the word thesaurus. You know what a thesaurus is, don't you? It is a dictionary of words. It is a storehouse of words. And if you think about it, your life is a storehouse of treasures. And your treasure in you is so valuable that God sent his one and only son to redeem you back to himself. And God wants you to open up the storehouse of your treasures, open up your heart, and he wants you to bestow on him those treasures to the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the God of all creation. Well, what were those treasures? And what do those treasures mean to you and I in response to who we are giving them to? Well, there are three treasures mentioned. That's why we believe that there were three magi. They gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. First, they gave 
gold. Why did they give gold to a baby? Why not diapers? Well, gold is a medal of kings. Gold is an appropriate gift to give to a king. These wise men were from Persia, from the far east, and it was customary that you were to give gold when you were in the presence of a king. And so when these magi walk in to this house and they see this child, the Christ child, walking around, no doubt, as a toddler, they gave him gold. Do you understand what is going on here? They are acknowledging that he was a king. And so will you write this down? Gold represents his sovereign domain. They are saying, we know that you are the king over all of the universe, that you are the king over us ourselves. It's an acknowledgement of his sovereignty. But there is a practical side to this. We know the story, don't we? When the Magi didn't return, Herod knew that he was tricked. And so he sent a delegation of soldiers to kill all the male children two years and under. And as the story goes, God spoke to the stepfather of Jesus, Joseph, and told him, hey, get out of town and get out of town fast because danger is coming and I want you to go to Egypt. And he did just that. And what financed that trip and their stay in Egypt was the gold itself. But the gold also speaks of willful submission to the king. Which means that the greatest gift that you can give God during this Christmas season is your willful submission to his kingship and to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Folks, to be honest with you, the greatest gift that you can give your spouse, that you can give your kids, that you can give your grandkids, honestly, is the willful submission to the sovereign domain of Christ over your life. Where you, where you don't hold anything back, where you give it all to him, where you willingly submit to him because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the creator of the universe and he deserves your best. Which means that when you give him your best, you give it off the top and not the bottom. You don't give him your second hand. You give him the new stuff. You don't give him the things you throw away. You give him the things that you would like to keep. You give God the first fruits of your time and your talents and your treasures. And if you think about it right now, whether you are in the big house or whether you are virtual, that is what you are doing right now, aren't you? Sure you are. You are worshiping on the first day of the week. 
The first morning of the first day of the week. You are in God's house and you are worshiping the king. And by doing this, you are saying, God, you are worthy to receive my very best, my first fruits, the first day of the first, or the first morning of the first day of the week. God, I'm not gonna give you my leftovers. I'm not gonna give you those throwaway things. I'm going to give you the very best. And so I have come to you in the big house or my house with your people because you deserve it and we're worshiping you. Now that is why I want to encourage you to worship with God's people every week. I want to encourage you every six weaker worshipers to come and worship, to change this habit this year. And you may sit there and say, well, George, what in the world is going on with this? What, I've never heard every six-weeker worshiper. Well, Barn has done research. The average Christian today gathers together with God's people on average once every six weeks. Now, understand my heart. God, I am thankful for all the every six weekers that are out there, okay? But this, this year, change that because, because it's for your benefit. Folks, in COVID, we don't need less of God. We need more of God. We come together, whether it be virtual or whether it be in the big house, because it's for our benefit. It is for the benefit of other people, but mostly it is for the benefit of Jesus. During the Reagan administration a number of years ago, there was a pastor who was informed by the secret service that President Reagan was gonna worship with them next week. And the congregation found out about this and they knew that it was possible because this pastor and the president were friends. And the Sunday before Reagan was to come, he stood up and said, hey, the president is coming next week to worship in our house and we need to clean shop. Okay, we, we gotta dust everything. We gotta clean the trash out of the parking lot. We've gotta get parking lot team attendance. We've gotta get ushers and greeters. We gotta get communion ready. I'm gonna give my best message. We're gonna have our best song sung. And people were excited. They began signing up left and right. Okay, we'll do this, we'll do that. And at the end of the service, he gets up to give announcements and he says, I made it all up. True story. To make this point, someone more important than the president will be here next weekend. He is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings. He is the creator of the universe. And that is why we come, isn't it? We come to offer him our gifts, our gold, our very best. And yet a lot of times we're not motivated 
to do that. But Jesus is our example, isn't he? He left the glory of heaven with the Father. As Philippians 2 says, he laid aside his deity. Still being God, he laid aside and he came to earth. And he took on a body and he lived a life in a broken world and he died. He shows us the standard. This morning I was pleased to see some husbands opening the door for their wives and letting them come in out of the rain. God has commanded husbands to give their very best to their spouses. In Ephesians 5, it says, you husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. In that same chapter, he tells fathers to do the same for their kids by not provoking them to anger. A little later in Ephesians, he says, hey, do the same to you employers, to your employees by doing your work as unto the Lord. Folks, everything we do is a reflection of our relationship with God and his grace that works within us. And so we give him our best. We give him our gold because he is sovereign. The second gift that they gave was frankincense. Now, if gold represents his sovereign domain, then frankincense represents this. Will you write this down? His sinless deity. Frankincense was an incense of worship used by the priest. And Jesus was the high priest, okay? The highest of priests. But it was used in the Old Testament Worship And what they would do is they would open a bottle and they would pour this, this frankincense into their meal offering and they would cook it. It's interesting to me that both frankincense and myrrh were resins that came from barks of trees and they were costly. In fact, myrrh, the myrrh's worth was worth five times that of gold. And frankincense was worth one time the weight of gold. It was expensive stuff. But frankincense was used in worship because it was a sweet aroma. It was, an, it was aromatic therapy. And it would be burned or consumed. And the smell would just waft in the air. And it smelled so good. To me, it must have smelled like pot roast. Hint, Cheryl. And so frankincense is about worship. It is about what our worship should be like, a sweet aroma to God. When you pray, it is a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God. When you give your Christmas offerings, when you sing, when you serve, it is like a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God. Frankincense was a beautiful aroma. 
But if frankincense is going to do what it is intended to do, it, it has to be opened. The bottle has to be opened and it has to be poured out and it has to be consumed. Much like the gifts that we get for people. We get a gift, we, we give a gift. That person receives a gift and then they unwrap the gift and experience it. In the same way, only when we do what God has intended us to do, pray, serve, give, love, sing, does it become a fragrant aroma in the throne room of God that is sweet smelling to his nostrils. But that's not enough. It has to be burnt up. It has to be consumed. Meaning that when you and I do what we have been created to do, that we are to do it with passion in our souls. That we are to do it with a fire in our heart. So let me ask you this during this COVID Christmas season. Does your life burn red hot as worship to God like some guys who wear too much cologne? You know what I'm talking about? There's some guys who think in regards to cologne that if a little bit does you, a whole lot more is better. One of those was my son. They bathe in it. And you can smell them from, I mean, they arrive, ten, their cologne arrives 10 minutes before they do, folks. But that is what our passion should be like. It should be like the woman Mary in the Gospel of John who anointed Jesus just before his trial. And what does she do? She takes this bottle and she breaks it open and she pours it on the head of Jesus. It soaks into his scalp. It goes down into his face, into his beard. It comes onto his neck. It soaks into his skin there and onto his clothing. And the aroma filled that room to where Judas was envious. And he said, you know what? That's a waste. That could have been sold for a year's worth of wages, which in today's terms would be about $26,000. But I would have you know this. When you and I do what God has created us to do, when you and I live our lives in passion for God, it is never a waste. And I want to challenge you during this Christmas season to break the seal of your heart and worship the sovereign king. When you drive by that nativity scene and you see baby Jesus there, when you walk into your home and you are reminded because maybe you got a nativity scene there, that you worship the sovereign king and his sinless deity. Now, what is so interesting to me about this perfume, it was called a nard, made from a certain plant, was that when Jesus was in the garden praying, 
you can smell it. When he was betrayed and falsely accused, you could smell it. When he was abused and misused, you could smell it. When he hung on that cross for six hours because it had been soaked into his skin, folks, you can expel, you could smell it. And that perfume spoke of extravagant love. And that is the kind of love that is deserving of Christ. Extravagant love. Not casual love. Not Sunday love. Not just Christmas love. Extravagant love. And here's the thing. When you pour out that kind of extravagant love, you know what it'll do? It'll change you. Because it's worship. Worship is expressing your extravagant love to God. And when you worship, it changes you. In this COVID season, we need changed. And it doesn't happen through the news. And it doesn't happen through a mask. And it doesn't happen through social distancing. And it doesn't happen by your po politician being elected. It happens when you and I express our extravagant love to Jesus. Because that's when he changes our pressures into peace. Our stress into strength. Our worry into work. And our anxiety into anticipation. Worship changes you. Because what you look at, you become. They've done research. And they have discovered that when you have been married a long time, like my wife and I, 46 years, that you begin to look like each other. Why? Because what you behold, you become. Take a look at this. We look like each other. Hello? Oh, there you go. It is amazing over the 46 years how much I be look like my wife, okay? And my wife begins to look like me. Now, this isn't true for human beings. They found this to be pet owners. Take a look at these right here, okay? Look at that. I mean, so similar. Look at it. Oh, my goodness. Look at that one. And this one here. Oh, yes. Yeah, spot on. And then the next one. Yeah, it's affected by the clergy as well. Okay. And there you go. What's the principle here? That what you behold, you become. Folks, we look at our iconic athletes. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we becoming? We look at our politicians today and we have to ask ourselves, what are we becoming? We look at our entertainers today 
And we have to ask ourselves, what are we becoming? We become what we behold. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look upon a woman lustfully. David said, I will set no vile thing before me. What is the principle that they're talking about there? What you focus on, you become. Now let me put this in a positive light for us. (laughs) This is to be a Merry Christmas, right? What if... In this season, we focused on the beauty of Christ and we began to worship him. What would we become? Well, Paul tells us, he says, we'll be transformed into the image of Christ. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul is saying here that when you and I worship, we become like Christ and our fear turns into faith and our knowledge turns into wisdom and our hurts turn into healing and our sin turns into salvation. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I say this, you wanna be different this holiday season? Worship the sinless deity of our sovereign king. The third gift. If gold represents his sovereign domain, and if frankincense represents his sinless deity, then myrrh represents his sacrificial death. Myrrh was an unusual gift to give to a child because myrrh was an embalming agent for bodies. And so this gift that these magi gave was both symbolic and it was prophetic. Remember, these magi were smart. Smart enough to figure out the skies above. They were astronomers, not astrologers. But they were also wise. And when they studied the scripture, they knew that Jesus, who was born to be a king, was born to die. We are born to live. The spouse, or your spouse that you're sitting next to is born to live. Your kids are born to live. Our grandkids are born to live. That's why with death we grieve. It's unnatural. We are born to live. But Jesus was born to die. And myrrh speaks of his sacrificial death. In John chapter 19, verse 39, Nicodemus, who you probably are familiar with, says this of him. Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night, also came bringing about 75 pounds of embalming ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Now, what are we to do with this? We are to do what we do with any gift. It's interesting to me. We go out, probably not much in this season, we jump on a website and we order it. 
But we do our searching and we buy that valuable gift. It shows up and we put it in a box and we wrap that box and then we give that box. That person receives it. They unwrap that box and they experience that gift. That is what God has done. He has taken his gift and he put it in a box, a human body called Jesus. And he wrapped him up in swaddling clothes in a manger. And he gave his gift to you and me when he died on the cross. And what was that gift? In Romans 6, 23, Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Will you circle that? The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. God offered at that very first Christmas the greatest gift of all. Salvation. Eternal life. But the value of a gift isn't the box that it's in. And it's not the paper that it's wrapped up in. It is the gift inside of it. It's the gift itself. And how do you experience the gift? By receiving it. And in my words, dropping this sovereign king in his sinless deity who sacrificed his life through death on the cross and dropping it from your head into your heart. And so in kind, what you offer back to God, because we do this, don't we? I get a gift, I give a gift. In kind, I open up my treasures and I say, God, you got first place right here. Use me up for your glory and for the good of everyone else. This is what Christmas is about. Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe of your plan that you devised from eternity past and that at the right time you revealed it, that we might know that life, eternal life, is in you, is in you through your son, Jesus Christ. And we want to worship you because you are king and you lived the perfect life, and you died in our place that we might live with you for all eternity. And God, we praise you for that. We thank you for the gift that we have through Jesus Christ. And today, in this season that we're in, God, may we behold you as we should and may we offer to you those gifts that you have called us to offer just like the wise men did, God. 
And may it start with ourselves first. I don't know where you're at this Christmas season, whether you're here in the big house or whether virtually, I don't know where you're at, but maybe you need to drop Jesus from your head into your heart and you need to invite him in and experience life that you might become more of who he is in this day and age that we live in. And you can do that this morning by just simply in your own way. I like to put it in an ABC prayer, but you can do it in your own way by just simply saying, God, I admit I've kept you off at arm's distance, but today I'm dropping you from my head into my heart. I'm putting my faith in you and I'm confessing you as my sovereign king and the lordship of Jesus Christ today. Rule in me and rule through me. And if you said that in whatever words, guess what, God heard you. Will you just take a step of faith and would you let me know? Here in the big house, you can come up to me after the service. You can go to the, the, to the reception desk and tell them. They'll give you a gift. They'll give you some information. If you're virtual, you can, you can let me know through 94,000, new start, and we'll get you some literature. We want to help you in this season that we're in. And so, God, we thank you for your gift, and we thank you that you've given us life. We just want to give ourselves back to you. May you be honored. May you be lifted up. In your son's precious name we pray, amen.